0: Hey, uh, let me tell you, as we get started, let me tell you a couple things I'm thankful for. Number one, I'm thankful for our worship team. Uh, By the way, if you, yeah, amen, yeah. Um, Every week, they do such a great job at leading us in worship, and if you missed last Sunday night, man, you just missed out. Uh, you were, if you were not here for the night of worship last Sunday night, it was absolutely amazing. And we had a stage just full of people worshiping the Lord and a, a house full of people worshiping the Lord. So the next time it happens, you, you need to make sure that you're here and you need to make sure that you bring somebody with you. Let me tell you a couple other things that I'm thankful for. I'm just thankful for you all. I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful for what God is doing in our church. And when I say in the church, I don't mean in this building. I'm talking about in the hearts and minds of the people of Osceola Baptist Church. We're seeing just people saved. We're seeing people baptized. We're seeing people step up into roles of of doing things that they never, ever thought they would do. Let me tell you, uh, I'm thankful for Jake Walters. He brought the message last Sunday night. Did a phenomenal job. Grateful for what God's doing in your life, my brother. Appreciate how you serve and how you love. This this past Friday, I'm thankful that Irwin County won our football game. All right, yep. So we get to play Macon County this week. But in the process of that, as we um, one of the privileges and and real blessings of life, I get is I get to be a part of young guys like this right here, and um, I get to stand before them every Friday and bring a devotion. But this week, uh, Osceola Baptist Church had one of its members step up. Mr. Rodney Miller sitting back there. He brought the devotion to the football team. Did a fantastic job of just preaching the gospel to him, So I'm just grateful for what God is doing, not just in us, but through us. And uh, the best, as we like to say, is still yet to come. So I'm grateful for every single one of you, and I'm thankful that you're here this morning. Let me say one more thing that I'm thankful for. I am thankful, and, and you just have no idea. I am so thankful that my college football season is almost over. <laughs> Yee. It has been a long one, man, woo, all right, well, to all you bulldogs out there, congratulations, you keep on winning, you're one step closer, you're one step closer, let's, uh, hey, go Knowles, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's pray, <laughs> let's pray, God, God, you are, uh, you're, you're good, God, you're better than, you're better to us than any of us deserve. And God, um, as, as we have declared through song this morning, God, you have taken us, you've taken our life, you have resurrected us from the dead, you have turned graves into gardens, God, you have taken something that was dead and turned it into this beautiful picture of what a resurrected life in Christ Looks like God, we, we are thankful as we've sang a while ago. We're we're thankful for all of uh, all the things that you've done in our life, um, and again, namely for our salvation. But then, God, thankful that you've given us this church where we can show up week in and week out, worship together with people who love you. God, experience together the goodness of your grace and the power of your resurrection. God, we get to experience on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, God, those whose lives are being transformed by the power of the gospel. And God, for that, we are grateful. So this morning, we we come to this portion of our service. Lord, we wanna pray that you would teach us through your Holy Spirit and through your word. God, change us, shape us, Don't ever let us stay the same. God, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit and your word would continue to push us forward into our faith in Christ. And God, that our life would just be this incredible picture of what you promised. Uh, God, we, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so last week we kicked off this series. Uh, called Cultivate. And uh, one of the things that, you know, the thing that we talked about last week is number one, we gave a definition of Cultivate. Cultivate, the simple definition, the working definition that we're using this week, is that um, Cultivate means to foster growth. And I pray that all of you are growing in your faith. I pray that uh, coming to Osceola Baptist Church gives you the opportunity to grow in your faith. And and that's what we're talking about over this series. And so we've got two more weeks today and then next Sunday where we're going to talk about how um, what, what has been created here is for the very purpose of helping people grow in their faith so that when life happens, man, our life isn't torn apart and blown apart, but we are able to stand on a solid foundation, which is the Word of God, and we are able to live by the power of His Spirit. Um, so we spent time last week go over, going over our vision statement, so let me give you our vision statement on the screen. Our vision is to bring hope to all people by inspiring them to desire a deeper relationship with Jesus. Jesus. All right, now, I want us to all read that together, okay? Let's just, let's just say this together. By the way, I'm giving participation grades this morning, all right? So, uh, so let's all say it together. Our vision is to bring hope to all people by inspiring them to desire a deeper relationship with Jesus. Okay, now, th- what we're going to dig into this morning... Um, Of course, last week we were in Ephesians 2. This morning we're going to be in Ephesians 3, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. While you're turning there, uh, let me just kind of share with you a little bit more about last week. Um, If you weren't here, we looked at uh, what Paul wrote to people, that Paul wrote to people from a place of hopelessness to a people that were in need of hope. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, and then he's writing to a people who were in need of hope, and he's giving to them a message of hope, and that's what uh, Paul Uh, did last week, and and we talked about how the purpose behind their hopelessness, because he said you were a people without hope at one time. He's writing to Gentiles. Gentiles were people who were not Jewish, because in the Old Testament, if you go back and read the Old Testament, it was a covenant between God and his people, which were the Jewish people, and now there's this beautiful new picture of of God's plan that's opened up through the New Testament, where now um, a relationship with God can be had by all people. And that's what he's writing to them about. And through Jesus, we can uh, be reconciled. Our hopelessness was that we were at once separated from God and they were at one time separated from God and the nation of Israel and being a, a nation of people who had a promise. And so now Paul is saying, listen, you were once without hope in this world. But now because of what Jesus has done, you have been you, you were no longer separated, you have been brought together. You have been brought together with God through Jesus, if you have faith in Christ, and you are brought into a place where you can belong, and in, it, and in the place of belonging, which we know as the church, you can find hope. So I pointed out uh, last week two necessary ingredients for growth. Those two necessary ingredients for growth, and again, it doesn't matter what it is, is—it's whether it's an organization or for you personally, um, and it doesn't matter whether it's a church or any other kind of organization, these things you will find in every successful uh, organization on the planet. You've got to have the right culture, and you've got to have catalysts that produce growth. And so we'll talk about today, we're going we're gonna to take a look at culture, okay, um, and why culture is necessary and what kind of culture we see that God established for us through the local church. Now, I want to begin by telling you a story when, um, so, um, you've you've heard it quoted before, right? That the, the average that you are, we all are, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Just let that sink in for a second. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I know what you're thinking, Right now you're thinking, man, I need to change my crowd, right? Like, I need to find some other people. I need to, I need to figure out who, like, listen, you are, and, it, and it's so true. Think about it from a sociological standpoint. Do you, do you see, do you see like billionaires hanging out in the slums with the homeless? no. What do, what do billionaires and millionaires do? They hang out with other millionaires and billionaires. Why? Because they, there's this culture that's been cultivated of, hey, how to invest your money, how to let your money, not, not to work for your money, but let your money work for you. I mean, you see, and, and athletes hang out with athletes, and, and, and musicians hang out with musicians. I've always said, you get enough musicians, they'll start attracting other musicians. They just do. Apparently, bulldogs hang out with bulldogs, right? Right? I saw a bunch of them on TV yesterday in their little stadium, you know, and, and, and it's what we do. Uh, we we, we kind of gather together with people who are, are kind of like us. And so you've also, my mentor taught me years ago along these same lines, being the, you know, that we are the, the uh, average of the five people that we spend the most of our time with. My mentor taught me years ago, because when I started out in ministry, I started out in student ministry. I started out working with teenagers, and here's what he told me. He says, you need to teach this to your teenagers, and you need to understand this about the teens that you work with. And he said this, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And it's so true. I mean, think about about your life back in high school, right? Back when you had a mullet, you know. Back when you hung out with that crowd, whatever it was, you remember you had, you had your little close group of friends and you dressed like them, you talked like them, you used the same slang that they did, you said the same words, y'all had the same handshake like everybody had the little handshake that you did, whatever it was. We all, our culture and the culture that we place ourselves in determines who we become. I mean, it's not just a s- slick saying. I mean, this is sociology 101. And so, It's important that we understand that principle when it comes to culture. I want to quickly just share my story with you real briefly, and then I want to share with you a story of a girl that I went to high school with. So when I was, I've shared this with you all before, but when I was a kid, I didn't grow up in church. Like, I didn't go to church, My, my family didn't go to church, I didn't... I graduated high school in in a town in in North Florida, which is North Florida, South Georgia, kind of same same type of culture. Um, You know, my family we grew up in a town like the size of Fitzgerald, and uh, none of my family really went to church. Therefore, I didn't go to church, and the couple times I did go to church, I I was disinterested in church; didn't want anything to do with it. It was just boring to me. Okay, and so um, so I grew up without knowing uh, who Jesus was, um, and then. I was raised by a single mother, so shout out to all the single moms out there. You guys are heroes, I'm just telling you. Um, it, I know it's, a, it's, tough. it's tough. It's tough to, to raise kids uh, uh, by yourself, but listen, um, you, you, you stick to the word of God, and you teach your kids the word of God, and I promise you, God will go before you. He'll direct your paths, and, and here's the big thing. So for me, my mom grew up, we didn't have any money. My mom was a breakfast manager at the local Hardee's, and so she had to be up very early to go to work. She was getting up at 3 a.m. to leave the house, which meant if she's getting up very early, she's also going to bed very early. So usually in my teen years, as I was coming home from practices and things after school, she was already in bed, and then she was gone before I got up. So we almost never saw each other. So really, to be honest, I grew up without a lot of adult supervision. Could have gotten into anything that I wanted and did anything I want, and probably you know uh, could have gotten into a lot of bad things but here's what happened god and his providential will for my life and, and part of god's love for me even as a kid who didn't want anything to do with church even as a kid who who had no idea i knew that jesus died on a cross but i had no idea why he died on a cross in god's love for me he surrounded me all of my best friends in school we played sports and guess what else we did or they did they went to church Now they would always ask me if I wanted to go to church and I did go a couple times and really didn't like it and so I just didn't go but God protected me because he put me in a culture of people who were following Jesus and that was huge in my life. Okay, Now, in saying all that, um, according to sociologists, teen friendships are one of the major developers of teen identity. It's during our teenage years that we we sort of develop who we are. We develop an identity, which is why the teen years are so difficult because you're trying to figure out, okay, well, what am I going to be? What do I aspire to be? What do When I see other people, older kids on campus, um, do I want to be a part of that group or that group? What do I think is cool? What do I think is hip? What do I think is in... Who do, who do I think is, is, is the guy or the girl that I want to be like? And so then we, we become attracted to a culture, and then we try to get into the culture, and we do whatever's necessary to get there. So again, psychologists say that teen friendships are one of the major developers of, of teen identity. They're also developers of eventual adult mental health. If you had some bad friends... <laughs> you're probably going, man, what in the world was I thinking way back in high school? Like, right, they, they developed a lot of the issues maybe that, that you're experiencing now. And then the last thing that it does is it also has an obvious impact on, on your future and what you become and what you do. And so, again, being raised by a single mom, having really none of, no supervision, I see now and I look back on it, I see God's hand in my life sparing me from some things that I could have dove head off into that could have really had a a negative impact on my future. And here's the thing, many of you may be sitting here today and God has delivered you from that. Like you went through some of that stuff and you struggled with some things as an adult and as a young adult, but now you're at a place where part of of what God has done in your life is he has redeemed all that and he's given you a new life, he's created in you a new way of thinking and he's specifically how you think about yourself and now God has, has given you A new hope, and he's given you a new future. But see, this is so that's my story, but there was another girl, she was a couple years behind me in school. Young girl, beautiful girl. I mean, man, she was really, really pretty, pretty girl. And, and she wasn't just pretty. She came from a very well-to-do family. Um, her family was uh, really highly thought of. She was very highly thought of. Just a good girl. I mean, just one of those people that you meet, and as soon as you meet him, you're like, man, she's friends with everybody. She's nice to everybody. I mean, just really, really solid girl. Well, unfortunately, along her trek through high school, um, after I graduated, I went off to the military. Well, I came back years later, and when I came back, this, you know, we were just, I, was, I met up with some of my friends that I graduated high school with, and we were just, you know, what you do when you kind of go back to your hometown, which uh, you, you start having conversations. Hey, well, what's so-and-so up to? and What's this person doing? And, what's, and, and as part of that conversation, some of my friends were like, hey, man, you remember that girl? And I said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They said, man, you will never guess what happened to her. I was like, well, what's going on? I mean, where's she at? Like, she's, she's probably at UF or She's at University of South Florida, or she's at Florida State University, or she's, she's gone off to another college out of state. I mean, what's she doing? Like, this girl was like, man, she's going to be, she's going to do well in life. She is, she is wired for success. She has everything going. She's got great personality. She's just a, a very attractive girl. She's going to do, she's going to do very, very well. Well, when we started, they, they brought up the conversation. They told me, they said, no, 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 that's, that's not the path that she ended up on. So my friends were like, she got, um, later in high school, after we graduated, she got in with some girls, and uh, that, it was, again, that kind of group, that culture, hey, who do I want to aspire to be, and who do I want to be with, She, she, um, she injected herself into that culture, she began to do things that she would have never done before, and suddenly, she's a drug addict, and she's working at, and let me just phrase it this way, an adult entertainment place, and that's what she became and unfortunately her drug addiction led to some very severe health problems and she was a shell of the self that we all projected her to be when she was in high school what happened again it's culture you show me your friends and i will show you your future it's it's a principle of life now, why do I share with you those stories? Again, because I want, to, I want us to understand this. Um, put this on the screen for you. Our cultures, I think I put this, there it is. Our cultures or our culture creates our future, okay? That, that's true for you personally. Your culture creates your future. Parents, one of the biggest things that you will ever do, and most of you already know this, one of the biggest things you will ever do is, is um, know who your kids' friends are, okay? Okay? Know who your kids' friends are. It's so important. But for us, and what we're going to look at today, Paul's going to paint this picture of culture. And then I want, to, I want to look at this and I want to talk about our culture and how it's what God is doing here in this church to create a culture where people can grow. I shared with you a story last week about being in Arizona, plucking up a little pine tree sapling from the mountains and bringing it down to the desert and planting it and watering the heck out of it, and it died. Again, culture, 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 culture. Look at Ephesians chapter three. We're gonna pick up in um, verse 14 of chapter three. And let me give you just a tiny bit of context. Again, Paul's writing from prison in Rome. He's writing to this church in Ephesus. He's telling them all of these things about, you know you were once separated, you were once without hope, you were once all these things. And then he talks about the gospel at the beginning of chapter three. He talks about this mystery of the gospel revealed for which Paul, he is saying, I'm now a prisoner for, he's preaching uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ who is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament that through him people could have uh, new life, could have salvation in the name of of Jesus, that he was the, the, the lamb of God that, whose blood had been shed so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And so now in, in chapter 3, verse 14, he is going to say, okay, based on all this, now church at Ephesus, I'm writing from prison, but I, I want to write a prayer to you. This is, there's two prayers. The other one's found in chapter 1, and this is the second prayer that Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, and I want you to listen to what he says to the church, Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I want to pause right there for just a second. Paul is saying that in light of the gospel and my calling as a messenger of the gospel, Paul is saying I am going to drop to my knees in a state of prayer, in a a, uh, posture of prayer so that I I want to offer up a prayer on your behalf. Let me just say this real quick. We would do well to pray more for people. You know somebody in your school, students? Y'all know somebody in your school that's going the wrong direction? Pray for them. And do more than pray for them, talk to them. But when you can't make headway through conversation, you pray for them. Parents, pray for our kids. Pray for your kids. Pray Pray for the people that you work with that you know are not in a good place. Pray for the people that you know in the community that are in need of help. Pray, pray, pray. When you know someone that's struggling, pray for them. When you know somebody uh, that, that's not in a good place in life, you just should drop to your knees and pray for them. And this is what Paul's doing. From prison, Paul's saying, listen, I, I just drop to a knee. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, and I'm gonna pray for you. That's what he does. There is power in prayer. I still believe that there is power in prayer. Paul says that we are to pray. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says we are to pray without ceasing. Man, just pray. Pray, pray, pray. And then look in verses 16 through 19. I want to read these and then I want to point out a few things that he mentions here. In, in, uh, in 16 through 19, it says um, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses Knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul is going to pray for four specific things for the church at Ephesus. And I want to go back and point those out. Back in verse 16, the first thing that Paul is going to pray for is he's going to pray that they would be strengthened. He says, according to the riches of his glory that that he may grant you to be strengthened. Strengthened how? Through the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so important that we share the gospel, because who is it that can have the power of the Holy Spirit in their life? It's only the believer. The lost people in the world do not have the power of the Holy Spirit. So what happens when life gets hard is they have to walk through everything in their own strength. And as most of us know, that is not working out well in the world that we see today. When you go back and you look at our culture, when you look at our nation, years ago, the percentage of people who were Christians in the world or in our nation, was much higher than it is today. So with the decline in the percentages of people who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who have the power of the Holy Spirit living within them, those percentages are decreasing. And while those percentages are decreasing, depression and suicidal thoughts are skyrocketing. It's important that we share the gospel. Why? Because Paul, as Paul prayed, that according to the riches of his glory... That he may grant to you to be strengthened with the power of his spirit in your inner being. The apostle Paul in a prison in Rome for preaching the gospel is an amazing turn of events. And and because Paul has been through this, because Paul is now in prison writing from a place of hopelessness with hope in his heart to a people that need hope. Paul is uh, writing this uh, letter to the people in Ephesus, again, from prison, and it's, a, it's an amazing turn of events. Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. Now, why is that amazing? Because the Apostle Paul, early in the book of Acts, if you go and read, Apostle Paul was, he used to go and get letters from the government to go arrest people for preaching the gospel. Paul used to place people in prison for the gospel. Now he's in prison himself for preaching the gospel. And while he's in prison, instead of going, man, I should have never done that, the apostle Paul is saying, listen, I'm praying for you, church, because here's what you need. You need to be strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit. There are moments in this life when we are not going to have the strength to walk on our own. There are moments in this life when we are not going to be able to overcome the temptations on our own. And so we need, Paul knew that the church was going to need to be strengthened for the journey that was ahead. The church at Ephesus had a whole lot more to face than we do, but the principle still applies. We need to be part of a culture where God is strengthening his people for the journey ahead through the power of the Holy Spirit. How marvelous That God does not give the Spirit's power to us out of his riches, but he gives it according to his riches. See, if I'm a billionaire, by the way, I'd like to give that a shot. If I'm a billionaire and I give you $10, I'm giving it to you out of my riches, but if I'm a billionaire and I give you a million dollars, I'm giving it to you according to my riches. And so Paul says here, God, that you would, according to your riches, grant to your people, grant your people be strengthened through the power of the Spirit, or through the, through the power, um, or power through His Spirit in Their inner being, that's what he's praying for you and I. Look in verse 17. 17 is the second thing he prays that we would have. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. In other words, what he's praying for is depth. Let me say this. One of the shortfalls and downfalls of the church in the United States of America has been for years that we have been a mile wide and an inch deep. It's amazing to me the number of people that spend the bulk of their life in church who have about this much knowledge of the scriptures. And here's what Paul's saying, and listen, that's not a knock on the people that are sitting in churches all across America. What it is, it's a knock on the church for not having a proper discipleship path for people and creating a culture where people can grow. Paul uses three pictures here to convey this idea of spiritual depth. He's praying that we wouldn't just be a mile wide and an inch deep, but we would be a mile wide and a hundred miles deep. That the church would grow, it would expand, we would reach new people, the gospel would save people. But in the process of it, he knew that something had to happen. There needed to be a depth to the people. So he says, um, so that Christ may uh, dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in what? In love. Rooted and grounded in love. Two types of love. Number one, our love for God. That we would be rooted and grounded in our love for our Savior Jesus. That because of his love for us, we demonstrate our love for him by offering ourselves up as a sacrifice. A holy and acceptable one. A living sacrifice. that. God may do his work in our life. So there needs to be depth, but not just, he says, um, not just that kind of love, but then love for one another so that we love God. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second, Jesus would say, is just like it, that we have love for one another. Well, how do we have love and demonstrate love for one another? I'll get to that in a few minutes, but the point of all of this is depth. So where is the depth? Where is Where are we at in being rooted and grounded in his love? Rooted. It's a picture of, it's a plant word. What do roots do for plants? They go deep, they travel deep, they dig deep into the soil. Why? To provide nutrients for health to the plant. The other thing that they do is it provides stability. Go out and find a plant that has shallow roots that's just sprung up. You can go and grab it and just pull it right up with almost little effort. But you are not going to go and pull a pine tree up out of the ground when it is mature and grown. Why? Because it has been nourished, it has grown, it is healthy, and because of its strong root system, it has stability in the greatest of storms. You ever... The second thing is here is he gives us this picture. He says um, that we would uh, be rooted and grounded, and there's this idea in here that um, that, that that Christ. Uh, he, beginning of that, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does it mean to dwell? Um, the, the The idea is is that um, the kind of the the imagery that we get is to settle down and feel at home. That Christ would settle down and feel at home in our hearts. You ever gone to somebody's house and you walk in and they go, hey, make yourself at home. You ever, you ever had somebody do that to you? I don't know about you, but I mean, they could tell me that and I, I do, I, I enjoy going, I can relax, but I do know that in the back of my head at some point I am leaving. That, that I will be going to my house where I can make myself at home and I can, I can, I can do what I want, right? Here's the reality. What, what Paul is communicating here when he says that, that, that Christ may dwell so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith that we are saying all right Jesus you're here for good it's not like a hey you're coming here to visit and then you know at a certain time that you're going to you're going to leave and go to your house but you are at home in my heart that you dwell there that you make your place there because i need you and that when we when he dwells in our hearts through faith that then this whole thing of being rooted and grounded can take place in our life then look in The next uh, verse, Um, in verse 18, it says, um, after being rooted and grounded in love, that may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. It's almost like this 4D imagery that he gives us that we would be able to comprehend that. That we would be able to think upon and think about not just his love, but the breadth and length and height and depth and then he goes on to say this, and to know, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God doesn't want to come in and kind of give you 50%, he wants to give you the fullness. Verse 20, Paul would go on to say this, now to him who is able. Watch this, I love this. Paul could have just said to him who is able to do more than all we ask or think. He doesn't say just more. What does he say? Far more abundantly. That's a lot of words that he put together to try to describe what God is able to do. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. I don't know about you, but I can think up some crazy stuff. I could think up some really big things. I have a seven-year-old who can do that as well. I mean, we can imagine, right? We can, we can imagine of some pretty amazing things that we could ask God to do. And here's the thing. No, what Paul is saying is no matter how great and grandeur of a thing that you could ask God to do, he can do more than that. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or even think according to the power at work within us. And then he says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So what I want to do in the last couple minutes here, and we'll wrap up. I want to talk to you, because see, what what we see here is Paul is saying there is a culture. All right, church, here's the thing that I'm praying for you, and I'm going to pray specifically for four things that this would happen and the outflow of who you are as a church, and so he says that, that I pray that you would have strength. Well, how are you going to have strength? Well, it's coming through the Spirit, uh, that there would be depth that is going to be rooted in love, and that love is going to flow out of who what God has done for you and towards other people, that, that you would be able to comprehend these things. By the way, um, the scriptures tell us that if for the, for the average person, you can understand this from a historical standpoint, for the person who's not a Christian, but it's only through the Holy Spirit that the depths of the truth of the gospel are revealed to us, so that, again, is why we need, so he's saying strength and depth that you would be able to comprehend these things, and then out of all of those things, well, what happens is, man, your life just gets filled up. And it gets filled up to this point, that no matter no matter, no matter, no matter how, how much the world may come in and poke holes and you may leak out that God is filling up faster than, you can, than the world can take anything out of you. That you would always be full. So there's a culture. He says the church was created to create a culture for followers of Jesus to be able to grow in. Well, how do we identify those things, particularly in our church? And these these all come from Scripture. Um, uh, Number one, inspired people inspire people. When we have been set on fire by Jesus Christ, when we are full of the Spirit, guess what happens? We live our lives in such a way that people go, you're different. There's something different about you, and it's not a bad different. It's a good different, and I want what you got. We want to live our lives not in such a way that we believe, but just believe. We believe in such a way that it leads to life change, that we live our lives differently, that people say, hey, man, that guy right there or that woman right there, they got something that I don't have and I want what they have. And that our lives, we live our lives in such an inspirational way that we inspire people to want a deeper relationship with Jesus so part of our culture is inspired people, inspired, core value, inspired people, inspire people, inspired people, inspire people. Many of you are in a profession today because somebody inspired you. Many of you um, have, have done things in your life, have gone places you've gone because you were inspired. I don't know about you, but man, I get, on, I get on Instagram and I'm like, how are young people so rich? They're going all over the world. I've never been to some of these places. And then I see the pictures and I'm like, but I want to go. Inspired people, inspire people. Second thing, saved people, serve people. You've heard that before, I'm sure. Save people, serve people. He did not save us to sit. Jesus Christ saved us. The Holy Spirit indwells us, gives us a spiritual gift for the building up of the body of Christ. Save people, serve people. Why? Because, listen. I want to serve because I want other people to come to faith in Christ. That's why I serve Jesus. Paul served Jesus to the point of laying his life down that I would be willing to go to prison to preach the gospel. Save people, serve people. Third core value around here. Found people, find people. When when Jesus first meets Philip, Philip Philip's like, there's the Messiah. What does Philip do? Philip goes and hides in a cave for the rest of his life and never tells anybody about Jesus. It's not really what happened. Philip immediately goes to Nathaniel and says, hey, you gotta come meet the one that the Old Testament, uh, the promised Messiah, you gotta come meet the one that, that is the promised one. And, and Philip is like, what are you talking about? Or Nathaniel's like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh yeah, he's, it's just Jesus from Nazareth. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And here's what he says. He doesn't say, well, let me give you all the theological reasons why you should come see. Let me, let me tell you, um, hey, there's going to be this thing. Uh, he's, he's, he's got this, this power to be able to perform miracles. You'll probably want to see that. You'll be highly entertained. It's not what he says. He just says, I'm not going to give you a reason. He just, come and see. All you need to do is come and see. Found people, find people. Why? Because we know where we came from. We know the hurt that we experience on a daily basis, and we know the hurt that other people are facing. And we want people to not walk in their own strength, but we want people to come and meet Jesus so they can walk in the strength of the Spirit. Number four, fourth core value here we cannot do life alone. You can try. You can try. But what we have seen, if the last year and a half has taught us nothing else, doing life alone is not a good life. Again, depression on the rise. Why? Because we've been separated from one another. Statistics are bearing this out for us. We cannot do life alone. So what we do, what God has done, is he has saved us, he's given us a church, and he said, hey, here is a culture where people can come, be accepted, where they can find belonging, and they can grow in their faith in Jesus, and they will find love and support and encouragement for their journey. Number five, following Jesus changes people. If you follow Jesus, you will change. None of us would look at our our. If you have a sixteen year old who's still wearing um, a three T little onesie, none of us look at that and go, "That's normal." Like right, if 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 your child is five years old and still in three T, you've probably been to the doctor a few times, going, "Doc." Why is my kid not growing? There's a problem here. But in the spiritual world, we look at that and go, well, that's normal. Been in church for 30 years, hadn't really grown. No. Following Jesus changes people. We should look more like Jesus. Scripture tells us that, that we would be transformed into the likeness of his son. That's what Paul wrote to the Romans. And then the sixth core value here is, you, is we cannot outgive God, you just can't outgive him, whether that's financially. You, you give, I remember when I started going to church, I've told you all this story before, like my wife was like, hey, we're, we're gonna give 10% of our income. I said, by we, you mean, like I can't live on 100%, how am I gonna live on 90? But God's been so good. I mean, we started giving by faith and we just said, I, I, don't, I don't know how this is gonna work, but it has. God has been so good to us. And not only has he allowed us to make it off 100%, God has given us, he has blessed us to a point where we can give above and beyond 10%. And we can help people who need help and we can love people who need to be loved financially. And so he says, hey, here's a principle. This is a culture where these things can happen. You cannot outgive God, not just with your money, but with your time and your talent. Ask the people who were on this stage who put in hours of practice, they come up here on Wednesday nights, they run through, they do run throughs in practice, they rehearse, they, I'm sure they rehearse at home, and then they come up here and spend time leading us in worship. Ask them if they regret the investment they make with their time in serving people. They don't. Matter of fact, it's the thing that motivates them and drives them, and they love it. And they can't, Krishan, he's already in the back, Krishan gets mad when he doesn't get scheduled to serve. He does. Like, he, like I, don't, I don't want to just sit out there and do nothing. Well, it's like, okay, Krishan, we'll see if we can schedule you somewhere, man. Like, he's probably popping out behind me now. <laughs> I love that. And Krishan's not the only one. It's tons of people in our church. And listen, you want to find this culture. It's a culture that we have created here so that if you will plant yourself in it, be rooted in it, that you will grow and you will love every minute of the growth that you gain. And you'll look back at where you came from and you're like, God, I don't know how I grew so tall and I don't know how my roots are so deep and my life feels so stable now, but God, just thank you. Those are core values. That's a culture. And I just want to ask you all, if you're, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it starts there. You've got to know him so that you can be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And then you plant yourself in a culture. And if you're not from this church, if you have another church you go to, plant yourself in your church's culture and grow. Let your roots go deep. Let your roots go wide so that you can live the life that God called you to live and you will not be knocked over and plucked out by every, everybody who wants to come and pluck you out of a good life that God has for you and put you in their culture where life becomes toxic and destructive. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's the first thing. To, uh, I, would, I would encourage you when we begin to sing here in a minute that you would come and just grab me and say, I want to know Jesus as my Savior.